Hello and welcome to the Owen Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. I'm Jo Mosley, a senior solicitor in the employment team here at Owen Mitchell, and I'll be your host today as we discuss the reasons why organisations need to treat menopause as a business issue. I'm delighted to be joined by Jenny Arrowsmith, who's a partner here. Jenny is an expert in this area and has spoken widely on this subject. Welcome, Jenny. Hi, Jo. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. This is a subject that's very close to our hearts, isn't it? It is, yeah. I'm looking forward to having this discussion, Jo. Let's start up then. So, Jenny, over the last few years, you've been going out to businesses to talk to them about why it makes sense to support menopausal women in their organisations. Are those conversations becoming easier? I think they are. I've really seen um, a change this year in particular, actually. It was a couple of years ago I first started talking about this. Um, and the, the more I talk to people, the more I learnt as well. But this year, I think awareness really is increasing, helped in particular by TV programmes. A lot of celebrities are now talking about the impact of menopause on their careers. You know, you've got the likes of Gillian Anderson, Michelle Obama, Kay Burley, Meg Matthews is doing a lot of this and in fact made her own business in relation to supporting women with menopause. She talks about how she hit age 48 and was, that saw her see joint pain, foggy brain and anxiousness. Louise Mitchin from BBC talks about palpitations, anxiety, not feeling in control and having hot flushes. And then there was a really good Davina McCall programme that got a lot of publicity um, and really got people talking about this in May which was around the time that we did our conference, Joe, um, for, for our HR colleagues and, and clients. And menopause, of course, was one of the topics that we were talking about there as well. And what's clear from that is lots of women found that useful, saying that they hadn't realised what was happening to them and they thought it was just them. Um, and that really showed a lack of understanding all around of what the impact of going through the menopause has and how it can be so disruptive to everyday life. And this, of course, links to work and why it really is a matter that businesses need to concern themselves with. Yeah, absolutely. Can you explain to our listeners what we mean when we talk about the menopause and how long it lasts on average? Yeah, so it's a natural process that occurs for every woman and it's a transition from the fertile period into a phase when there's no re- reproduction. So it's it, it happens to every woman um, at, at some point in their lives and typically in the period from mid 40s to early 50s and it's effectively changing hormone levels um, where your ovaries gradually stop producing the oestrogen and releasing the monthly egg and it's the reduced oestrogen that triggers the symptoms that we'll go on to talk about and that we associate with the menopause and from what I understand and from the many discussions I've had with GP specialists that I've talked um, with on on, um, events that we hold it's a process and it's a it's a it's a period of time where this is happening and it's not it's not a short process either the average time is seven years and for some it can be less but for some women it can be longer the other really um important thing to understand is there's a perimenopause period which is the start of that process that's the earlier bit where 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 this process is happening where you might still be having your periods but your estrogen levels are all over the place and the menopause itself is where you haven't had a period for 12 months and you've gone through that process. That's really interesting. We know that women in the age group 50 to 64 years old are the fastest growing economically active group in the UK and that 70% of women who work are in that group. That's almost 4.5 million women. It's a huge number and I suppose it's very clear that unless employers support them they will lose their experience. Yeah, I was just going to agree, Joe. Absolutely. It's a a massive group. And I suppose if you look at 
50 years ago, those demographics were in completely different, weren't they? So it's really become an issue that we need to look at more than ever now. Absolutely. Let's move on then to the actual symptoms of menopause. Can you go through these, please? Because we know that it's not just about hot flushes. Yeah, sure. So many people think of the menopause as just being the hot flushes, like you say, or night sweat. And and for some, that's absolutely is the case. And that's true. Women refer to waking up with that burst of heat that you feel when stepping off a plane into the tropics. But it's so much more than that for many, many women. In fact, there are over, I think there's over 45 symptoms, um, both physical and what I hadn't realised until I started looking into this a couple of years ago, psychological as well. And actually, it's the latter that I think is is particularly common as well. So the physical examples, as I understand it, like I say, there's many, many more and I'm not a medical specialist myself, but headaches and migraines are complained of a lot. Joint pain, muscle tension, tingling extremities in the hands and feet, itchy skin, um, fatigue and disrupted sleep. And then you've got psychological symptoms, including anxiety, um, panic attacks, memory lapses. People talk about having a brain fog, um, you know, just going through a sentence and suddenly having a, a, a stop as to what you were talking about. Difficulty concentrating. And of course, that's going to be made worse by fatigue and disrupted sleep. And also the impact of that can mean that you start to display symptoms which could be uh, diagnosed as anxiety, depression um, and also heightens your cortisol levels and leads to stress. Isn't it the case Jenny that lots of GPs also misdiagnose women in relation to stress and depression and just put them on antidepressants? As I understand yeah and I think I think a lot of that comes down to a couple of things. GPs apparently don't have specialist training on menopause. There's not. There are some GPs who specialise in menopause um, and women related issues, but not every GP fully understands the impact and the wide impact. So unless you're going to your GP um, saying, you know, that your periods have become irregular or potentially stopped, you're having hot flushes and the more traditional symptoms of menopause, um, you might not necessarily get the other symptoms that I've just talked about in terms of um, you, perhaps your ability to cope with stress um, less than perhaps you have before or, or, or heightened anxiety. Um, and they might diagnose that as, like, like you say, um, you know, not stress and anxiety and treat that with antidepressants. And the NICE guidance in relation to menopause says that shouldn't ordinarily be the first line of um, treatment. There are other treatments that could perhaps help more in addressing that issue. And it's probably worth me just explaining that the oestrogen um, has so many functions in the female body. Again, something that a couple of years ago I just had no idea about. So obviously it affects the female reproductive organs, but it does affect the skin which is why you've got those symptoms I've just explained about in terms of itchiness, itchy skin, etc. It really is important for bone development. So if you go through the menopause early, the heightened risk of osteoporosis and things, it impacts on the heart as well. So that's why um, women have uh, greater exposure to heart disease and it can um, lead to an increase in cholesterol levels if it, when, when your oestrogen levels drop. But in relation to this brain point and the, the the anxiety, brain fog, lack of concentration that I've mentioned, that's because oestrogen is also really, really important in terms of your cognition and memory. So I think just going back to your point about um, the diagnosis, I think it's really difficult, Joe, because if you don't know the um, what's happening to your body, you don't really know what questions to ask of the GP, do you? So you might just you know explain some symptoms that you're experiencing and in fairness to the GPs you know they're, they're, they're listening to what you're saying but unless you're doing that holistic uh, review or maybe just indicating that you think you might be perimenopausal or then yeah you might be you might get some treatment that perhaps 
isn't necessarily the most helpful. I mean, I'm not a GP at all. I can appreciate it's a difficult role to, to do in your short appointments, but that, that's really why I think what we're talking about today is so important. So women have that understanding both um, to, to help themselves, but in their conversations with the GP, but also as we'll go on to talk about in work. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Jenny. I mean, not least because when you go to a GP, you're told not to not to give them a whole sort of checklist of things. You're supposed to go in with one particular complaint because you're only given 10 minutes at a time. Um, and they, I think they get quite cross often if you present with several things that you've sort of stored up, if you like, um, and present them all at one appointment. But yeah, all good tips. So how are those symptoms, given that we're talking about a whole range of potential symptoms impacting on women in their working lives? Well, the consequence of all this, um, and like I say, women have varying symptoms. Some will be lucky and and not really have many, but the, the statistics show that the, a huge percentage of women do feel that it negatively impacts on their work. So there was a CIPD survey um, in 2019 that reported a 59% of women who were interviewed in that survey felt that the menopausal symptoms negatively impacted on their work. The kind of things that um, we hear um, again and again come through is consequences of the symptoms leading to a lack of confidence in work, feeling that they're not functioning at the same level, or, or, or it's desperately hard to keep work, you know, functioning in at that level, a feeling of overwhelm and not being able to successfully do their job or feeling embarrassed. That can lead to women uh, feeling that perhaps they don't want to stay in those roles anymore, which is a crying shame, um, given that a lot of women may be at the peak of their careers as well at this, this age period. You know, performance issues can follow when you're not sleeping well. So if you're waking up at three in the morning and just awake and you can't get back to sleep, whether that's because of hot flushes or just awake, obviously that's going to impact on your performance the next day and going to really add to this, this, this um, feeling of brain fog and difficulty concentrating. And then to deal with that, you know, women are often reducing their working hours and, and perhaps looking, like I say, at different roles that they feel that they can thrive in where they've lost their confidence in their current role. And we'll go on to talk about sickness absence, too, because, you know, if you're having really heavy periods or really struggling with heightened anxiety or crushing migraines, then, of course, you're going to um, have a heightened level of sickness absence. And the issue is if 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 the underlying cause of all this isn't dealt with then obviously there could be detrimental impact on women if those performance issues or levels of heightened sickness absence are being managed and in a worst case scenario leading to termination. Yeah I was going to come on to talk about that Jenny and ask you how those sorts of issues are being dealt with. Are women for example talking about the menopause at work if for example their personal performance is suffering or they're having to take time off to cope with menopausal symptoms? Well, the surveys would suggest that there's a lot of work to be done there. So in that same CIPD survey I was talking about, 30% of the women surveyed said that they'd taken sick leave because of their symptoms. But what's clear from that survey and also many other surveys that I've seen is that a large number of women who take time off due to their, you know, the whole range of symptoms that I've talked about, over half of the women um, don't feel able to say what the real reason is um, or perhaps they don't know. So like I say, there's a, there's going to be a few reasons for this. So yes, women don't feel that they can be open because they're worried about how that might be perceived by the managers and colleagues. They're worried about ageism and um, being seen to be past their best or uh, feeling undervalued or feeling misunderstood. 
um, women talk about a feeling of needing just to pretend that everything's okay and keep going. And of course, many women just won't be comfortable talking about these things. They can be embarrassing, can't they? And, and, and it's a sensitive issue. So a lot there, which we'll go on to talk about, is how, how you can help women feel that they can have those conversations um, with trusted people within the workplace. And then, of course, the other issue is women might not understand where these symptoms are coming from um, and they might be going to see their GP. And I've talked about this in terms of the psychological symptoms and then and then coming away with a signal in relation to uh, stress and anxiety. And of course, Joe, we see a, a lot of um, long term absence in the world of employment law relating to stress and anxiety, um, which may in, in some cases be related to this issue. Um, and of course, there's many other reasons why somebody might be feeling stressed and anxious. But I do wonder whether that is is happening as well. OK, Jenny, do you think the law actually protects menopausal women? Well, unlike maternity or pregnancy, menopause is not a protected characteristic under the Equality Act. Yet, like maternity and pregnancy, it is something that is uniquely um, related to women and like we've said is something that women face at some point in their life so currently women have to use the existing law to try and obtain some redress and that's not always easy most claims are characterized as a form of disability a disability for these purposes is a physical or mental impairment which has a long-term and adverse effect on day-to-day -day activities but in order to succeed in that kind of claim you need to know the hurdles of, of the particular claim it's more than just showing you are disabled um, or that you've been adversely impacted. Having the knowledge of the disability for the employer and its impact is important too. So, you know, there, there are a number of blockers for the women to be able to pursue a successful claim where they feel that they have suffered a disadvantage or less favourable treatment in the workplace because of um, issues relating to their menopausal symptoms. Other claims have characterised themselves as sex discrimination and there's also potentially age discrimination there too. As well as all employees, all employers, sorry, have a duty of trust and confidence to employees. So if, if if women don't feel that they are supported in the workplace, then there is the potential to bring um, a claim based on that. But that ultimately would lead them to resign and then claim constructive dismissal. So I suppose in short, Joe, no, there isn't clear protection for women, and women are really trying to have to try and fit into the existing framework for protection, which I think is difficult. And probably is the reason why we haven't seen many claims in relation to this from women, um, albeit that's starting to change. And in fact, Jo, you've looked at some of the cases that have reached tribunals. So perhaps can you give uh, our listeners an idea of the number of cases where menopause has been an issue and what's happened in some of them? Yes, of course. I became interested in this after the Guardian newspaper reported that there'd been a significant increase in the numbers of women bringing claims linked to the menopause over the last um, two or three years. They sort of referred to a report that said that in 2019, there were six cases that referenced the menopause. And in 2020, that had increased to 16. Now, while statistically that's a massive increase, it's an increase of 167%, I think we've got to recognise that statistically in terms of the numbers of employment tribunal places claims that are brought overall, that's still an incredibly low number. And of those cases that have been brought over the last couple of years, most only mentioned menopause as a background issue. So they weren't massively um, relevant to the claim that was being pleaded. And even where menopause was relevant, many cases failed due to the way they were pleaded, 
a lack of knowledge on behalf of the employer, which is something that you've talked about, Jenny, and also the lack of medical evidence to substantiate what the woman is saying about the impact of her menopausal symptoms on her ability to work. Those cases suggest that there's some real incons inconsistency in how tribunals deal with these sorts of claims. And I thought it would be helpful just to perhaps run you through three, just to illustrate those points. So in Daly um, against Octivia, a 51-year-old woman had a range of menopausal symptoms, ticked many of the boxes that you went through, um, Jenny, in terms of the symptoms, both psychological and physical. And the Employment Tribunal very quickly said that those did amount to a disability because they were substantial, they were long term and they impacted on her ability to do normal day to day activities. By way of example, she struggled to shop, drive, stay awake when watching films, was unable to socialise and to concentrate on documents and processes she was once familiar with. And I think what that case demonstrates is that the issue of day to day activities isn't limited to work related tasks at all. Tribunals will look at the wider impact on your ability to do other other tasks you know, within the home or indeed in, in your social life. But contrast that with a case involving a police officer at the Met. Ms Rose's symptoms were causing her sleep disruption and that made it really difficult for her to work nights. The, the employment tribunal in, in her case said that she wasn't disabled because it was unclear the extent to which the menopause was causing her problems rather than other medical conditions that she had. So that links to what I said earlier about unclear medical evidence sort of unravelling um, other medical complaints from menopausal symptoms. And the last case I just wanted to flag was a case involving a small firm of solicitors and a legal secretary and paralegal who had lots of short-term absences for a whole range of reasons, some of which related to menopause, others related to other health issues or indeed childcare difficulties. She was dismissed because her employer thought that she was unreliable. She argued that her dismissal amounted to disability discrimination. And although the tribunal accepted that her symptoms could amount to um, a disability, they said there was very little contemporaneous evidence that her symptoms had been present at the time she had been off and how those symptoms had affected her. And it also said that her employers didn't know and crucially couldn't be expected to know that some of her absences were in fact due to her menopausal symptoms. And one of her symptoms was actually quite interesting. She had about a week off, I think, from memory um, around problems with her eyes. She had a, a dryness with her eyes and that can be a symptom of menopause. And the Employment Tribunal recognised that, but said that it wouldn't expect the person in the street to necessarily know it. And I think what those cases show is that even where women are raising menopause in tribunal claims, the outcome can be extremely unpredictable. Um, and there's a real disconnect between the numbers of women who have, who have difficulties but decide for lots of reasons not to do anything about it, even if they're disciplined, dismissed or indeed decide to resign. Yeah, thanks for that, Joe. I mean, so do you think we need new laws to protect women then? I really do, yes. And it's something that Parliament are looking at at the moment. Um, a select committee has been taking evidence on whether menopausal women are properly protected under our existing laws. 
And one of the options they're considering is whether to recommend that the government adds menopause to the list of protected characteristics under the Equality Act and introduces a separate requirement on employers to make reasonable adjustments to support them whilst um, they are going through the menopause. I think the thing to bear in mind, though, is that the Select Committee will just make recommendations and it's up to the government to decide whether to prioritise these. But I really hope that they do so. Absolutely. OK, let's finish on a positive note, Jenny. What practical steps can employers take to support menopausal women in their organisations? Well, there's a number of steps that can be taken and I can see just from the dialogue that we've been having with uh, the HR community that a lot of HR teams are working really hard to look at this issue alongside a lot of other well-being issues and that's really positive. It's positive because of all the reasons we've explained I think women need that support and what a crying shame it would be if you've got people who for no fault of their own are struggling in the workplace and you want to support them and like I've said you know you've got a duty to support your your employees in the workplace and the last thing you want is um, good employees leaving your organisation or um, their performance being impacted so what we need to be doing is getting this talked about as a business critical issue we don't want to be losing women and of course, that has that's relevant, of course, to, you know, um, ensuring that you have a gender, gender rich and diverse workforce as well, which diversity and inclusion is another big issue, Joe, as well, isn't it, that we've done other podcasts on. So in terms of getting this moving, a huge step forward is just increasing awareness about this issue within the workplace. So about the symptoms of the menopause, breaking that taboo so that women feel that they can get the help that they need. So whether that's an informative internet page with signposting some useful sites on how to manage um, the, the menopausal symptoms and where to get the support, that is a really good starting point. We've heard of successful stories of um, organisation having um, you know, lunch and learn sessions, workplace forums or menopause cafes where colleagues can have a safe um, forum to share their lived in experiences and just take some advice from others who are feeling the same. Um, and that really normalises the issue, which in turn should help women feel more confident being able to speak with their line manager if they do feel that the, the, these issues that we've been talking about are adversely impacting them in the workplace. And I think it's really important that those things are also accessible to men. So let's not forget men, men in the workplace are impacted as well. They're working with women. And um, of course, they, they'll have partners of their own who may also be struggling. And relationship issues, we know, can really impact on people's um, performance as well. You know, if you're having relationship difficulties, um, that is going to impact on, on yourself personally. So it's really important men have this understanding, not least. Um, if men are the line managers, they may well have this conversation with women and they need to understand that because if you don't get the line managers understanding this issue as well, then for all the good you're doing, encouraging women to come forward and speak, speak, speak about these issues in the workplace, if they're just getting a blank response from from um, line managers who don't understand that, then that's not going to be helpful at all. So it's really important that line managers all have this training as as well as women who are struggling um, with these symptoms or in this age bracket. 
Now, in support of this, there's plenty of good reference sites that you can direct employees to for more support and guidance where they can read up on things. And of course, that will also help them um, ask for the right level of support from their GP. A number of organisations are looking up getting some specialist referrals to some of these organisations who might do um, a bit more holistic support. So rather than occupational health referrals, there can be more specialist referrals that can um, can be done um, as part of a well-being um, or private health package. Training line managers, like I say, is going to be important. It's all about creating that culture of support and openness. And one thing that we've been recommending is a menopause policy. Um, I know there's lots and lots of policies out there that you may well have and how you feed this into your suite of policies is entirely up to you as an organisation. But the, the, the usefulness of a policy is that it can really empower staff and provide that framework to raise issues and get the support. It demonstrates also that you're taking this issue seriously. So we've created a template policy and we offered it out to businesses at the at the um, end of our conference back in May. And we offered that for free and we've we must have issued it out to well over 100 businesses by now. And I do still keep getting asked for a copy. So I would encourage any listeners to this podcast, if you're interested to see a draft menopause policy as a starting point, then please do link in with either Joe or I or send us an email and we'd be more than happy to get that to you. And then, Joe, just to finish off, I mean, we've talked about how this could be um, a disability, um, potentially. We've also talked about how this could impact on pe um, pe people's ability to um, stay in work and may, may have a heightened level of sickness absence. So with all of that, I'd recommend the same sort of things that you would do with any other employee who's got high level of absence with underlying issues, which is look at what support you can put in place to try and minimise that. Um, and obviously, in the context of disability, you, you might have a, you, you would have a positive duty to make reasonable adjustments. So the kind of things that could be relevant there are, um, you know, where you're positioning their desk, giving access to cool working environments, perhaps giving access to a quiet room if they're feeling that they just need that in order to help them concentrate and flexible working is also something that um, I've seen work particularly well and if you work in an environment where there's uniforms just think about simple things like the uniform other adjustments that can be made and I know the police force have done great work in that in talking with women about what adjustments they feel would help them in the uniform to 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 work more comfortably. That's great Jenny thank you that was really really helpful. If you're interested in finding out more about this topic, please go to LinkedIn and connect with Jenny and I as we publish regular articles and tips on this subject. And as Jenny said, we've also got a draft menopause policy that we can send to you free of charge. If you'd like a copy, please just email us or message us via LinkedIn. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Owen Mitchell podcast. If you found it interesting, then join us for our next episode. Stay safe.